Discretion is advised. This is the cul-de-sac insomniac, and I'm Ophelia. And I'm Tori, and we're going to keep you up all night. How are you? You know, I'm pretty good, but um, I'm just going to put it out there. For those of you who've been listening to us, you may have noticed we didn't have an episode this past week. And that's because our haunted podcast 13th episode got totally corrupted and we couldn't get it done. We couldn't use the audio files. And so now we're recording it again. Yep. Because... That's fun. Right, because, uh, yeah, Ophelia's audio sounded like she herself was a ghost speaking from beyond the grave, which, as cool as it sounds, is actually not that great quality-wise. So, yeah, we're here again. Don't worry, I have literally no memory, so I've forgotten everything we (laughs) talked about last week, your story and my story, so... I I blame Neil deGrasse Tyson and, and... You'll remember why when we get into my topic. Yeah, you're going to have to remind um, me. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I blame him for, for most of it, to be you honest. You know what, I, I think that's probably fair. Again, like I said, I have no memory of anything, but that sounds right. <laughs> so, before we get started, I just want to say I saw this story, um, and it's about a year old now. Or maybe it's almost two years old, this story. and But I just came across it, and I just want to mention it because... So MIT Lincoln Laboratory researchers have come up with a way to send messages to people using, like, a laser, like this laser system, and they can send secret whispers directly into a person's ears by, like, pointing a laser at them from a distance. So Ew. they can hear, like... Like audio, like, but so they can hear the transmitted audio, but others in the area cannot. And Ew. they can transmit Does it have tones. To be whispers? Ugh. <laughs> should, it, should it not be whispers? What, what else would you do with this technology? I guess that's true. So, I guess it's all bad. There's something about whispers that just makes it feel yeah. to me extra creepy. Well, I'm not inherently opposed to whispers it's just when they're not attached to a visible body that they kind of freak me out but yeah that's but definitely this, this can send tones music recorded speech and i i'm just gonna be honest never let me get this technology no. never ever let me get this it's not technology meant for because anyone in our family to get our hands I on that will that would use be... it for kicks just for kicks oh constantly constantly but i don't understand what would even make you spend the time and money to to work on this do we not right. have cancer to cure right do we not, i mean this was before the pandemic okay so fine you're not working on that but don't do we not have a multitude of social ills that we could solve with hmm. the mit lincoln laboratory do we really need 
disembodied voices just whispering going in people's all around ears? the place with lasers. I don't know. I have to wonder with things like that. Like, is this really like a silly putty situation? You know, where they were trying to invent something else, and they were like, "Well, now we have a whisper Oops. laser, so <laughs> we're just going to yeah. keep going with that." We were trying to improve laser surgery, and right. we invented ghosts. The only thing we could do was get the doctor to whisper very close to your ear from very far away from your ear. I don't get I don't get the 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 point of it. Yeah, I I have to wonder what what's the application of a well, whisper laser? I guess if you're trying to send a message just to someone and for no one else to hear, but I Right. Yeah. But you have to have mm. a direct laser shot to their ear? Do you put the, well, la the like where does the laser go? They don't need any equipment. The target doesn't need any equipment. So I don't understand how you... Right, but you still must have to point the laser at the target, right? But I don't know how much of a distance it is either. And I get, right. I, just think, I guess it's just magic. That's what I'm mm. going with. Honestly, most of science, I've just decided it might as well be magic to me. You know, well, I'm when, never going to get, get it. When we get into my topic, it's... Um, you'll see that it's, yeah, science has tipped over into a, a very concerning point now. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm just going to get right into it. Yes. And we are going to talk about simulation theory. already freaked out it's very cool very terrible um i partly want it to be true like everything else on the podcast well not your part i don't want your part to be true but my part <laughs> i <laughs> i prefer none of yours was true but my Same part here. i partly want this to be true and i partly never want to hear this concept ever again Mm, that's what I said at the end of the episode last week, and here we are. So I'd watch what you say. <laughs> oh, that's right. Remember we got off and we were like, oh, and we both had headaches and we're saying, oh, that was a lot. Yes. Oh, that's a lot. I'm just yep. going with something. We should never do this episode yeah, ever again. and I'm saying I'm going yep. with something nice and light next time because I cannot do that again. Well, surprise, surprise. <laughs> And we thought we could just have a, a standard 13th episode on our haunted right, podcast right. and have it not so this be is why I this is why I blame Neil deGrasse Tyson, though, because I believe that he is the keeper of the simulation or one of them. There's probably several. It's probably Ooh. a lot of work to keep this whole thing, you know, going. And I don't think that he yeah. wants me, he wants us to release this information. Ooh. So I follow him on TikTok. I follow him on TikTok. I'm just waiting for, for him to slip up. Mm. I've seen him before in real life, actually. Really? Did he seem like a simulation? Yeah, he seemed very cool. He was a commencement speaker at my boyfriend's graduation, so well, did it, I got to see him from like 400 feet away. Did he pixelate at any point? Or? No. <laughs> you know what? No, but it was very hot that day, so it's hard yeah. for me to say, really. 
Okay, so simulation theory is the this general theory that we are living in a simulation, a simulation that was created. Um, we that, are that basically right. So it's like the game The Sims, and we are the Sims inside the situation, the the simulation. Now there are a number of reasons why people think this, scientists think this, and in fact, one of the first people to popularize it was a philosopher, and his name was Nick Bostrom, and he talks about um, how there are only, there are only so many outcomes when you get to a certain level of technology, and that you would, I don't really follow his thinking, but one of those possibilities is that you would create a simulation of your own history and you would then simulate your your entire history and I don't really follow that that logic but that's the person who first started talking it so scientists have discovered some very interesting things that lead us to believe that or lead them to believe I don't know what I believe anymore <laughs> that that we really are living in a simulation so there's an article on Vox.com by uh, Sean Illing, and he is saying why, um, why computer scientists are saying that reality is a video game. Um, and so they reference the paper by Oxford philosopher Nick Bostrom, and he, was, he shows that one of three possibilities is true. All human-like civilizations in the universe go extinct before they develop the technological capacity to create simulated realities mm -hmm. or okay i kind of buy that right. one the way we're going and so one of these three must be true or if any civilizations do reach this phase of technological maturity none of them will bother to run simulations or three advanced simulations would have the ability to create many many simulations and that means there are far more simulated worlds than non-simulated ones so we don't know for sure which of these is the case but we do know that we're already able to create simulations. But see, this sounds a little bit to me like he's kind of talking almost like a matrix kind of thing, like we create a simulation on purpose and like plug ourselves into it. So mm. I don't know if that, that- Not like a- That isn't really what scientists are talking about. Right. Yeah, they're more talking about, like, using a simulation to figure out what will happen right. before it happens. Yeah, he's, he's sort of talking about, like, putting your, ourselves into a simulation. But this Rizwan Verk, a computer science video game designer, published a book in 2019 called The Simulation Hypothesis that explores Bostrom's argument in much greater detail and traces the path from today's technology to what he calls the simulation point, the moment at which we could realistically build a matrix-like simulation. So that's what they're talking about. But what scientists are starting to say is that it's looking as though we're actually already in the simulation, a, a simulation that oh we didn't necessarily build, or like maybe in this form didn't build. Um, Elon Musk is actually a proponent of simulation theory. Um, Michio Kaku, um, who is um, an astrophysicist. So there is, there's a documentary on Amazon 
about the simulation hypothesis. And so I watched it and it's, it's, <laughs> it, it'll mess with you, but there was someone named James Gate. So James Gates said that what they have discovered is that when they look at the fabric of the universe, the fabric of the universe is in computer code. Like, so quantum information is written in computer code, but it is written in a very specific computer code that was written by Claude Shannon in the 1940s. Okay, I do remember this from the last time we <laughs> talked about it, and I still don't understand. And you didn't like it then either. <laughs> First of all, I didn't like it then, I don't like it now. First of all, how are you just like picking up the fabric of the universe? Like the concept of the fabric of the universe already over yeah. my head. Like I'm yeah. already I'm already out of my desk. I don't understand what we're talking about. And then to be like, oh yeah, well, we just the code was just created like 80 years ago. So, like, so, I, I mean, don't, I don't obviously understand. it wasn't written so much as it was discovered. I get, well, that's what a lot of scientists say, that nothing is ever really mm. created. It's just we're discovering it, but it was always there. Because, like, we know people older than that computer code. Right, right. You know? so, 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 obviously, how... like, my dad was living in the world before this, well, I think, right. I think, as far mm. as I know. If, if we are, he is. But who is? <laughs> oh. So uh, James Gates is a theoretical physicist and a professor at the University of Mar Maryland and a visiting scholar at Dartmouth. Oh, we could go see him. And he has spent his entire career looking for supersymmetry. And what supersymmetry? Well, I don't really know. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I mean, they're here <laughs> explaining it, but my little brain getting around it. Right. The simulation won't allow you to understand. So, well, basically, basically what supersymmetry is. OK, so, I mean, I, I see what the definition is. I'm just saying my little brain doesn't really get it. But um, it mm -hmm. proposes that all particles have partners that we haven't discovered yet. So um, so he discovered this computer code in the math that underlies our world. And the thing about it is he discovered in the math an error-correcting mechanism that echoes the checksums that make the internet work. What? <laughs> I don't... Okay. We've had lots of conversations, like, not just on this podcast, yeah. but, like, at Thanksgiving, because that's just how we are. But, like, anytime they're like, oh, well, like, the math yeah. says, I'm like, ah, who just, like, decided that this is what the math Stop says? Stop doing math. I don't... <laughs> Stop doing that math. Like, I don't like it. I don't approve of it. Why did you decide to make this math happen? I don't get it. And just, I, okay, my understanding of math is, like, such a low level compared to all the math that exists that I'm like, okay, I understand, like, division, right? And then you guys are talking about the fabric of the universe, but it also is math. And that <laughs> I'm just so lost by that every time we have this conversation. How does the math prove it? I don't get it. I don't either. I'm going to give you all my um, sources at the end of this, if I, if I have mm -hmm. any mind left, which I may not. There's an article on Vulture.com, and it's called 15 Irrefutable Reasons Why We Might Be Living in a Simulation. And one of these is the Mandela Effect. So, Ooh, we love to talk <laughs> about the Mandela Effect. 
Now, I was not someone who, I knew that Mandela didn't die. Like, I know people say, oh, he died in the 80s, but and then he actually died in mm. 2013, but he was in jail during that time, and, and I don't, um, I never thought he died then, but I am telling you, they talk about the whole Berenstein, Berenstein bears. I'm certain it was yes. Berenstein bears. And I am telling you, right. they're talking about, uh, they, others recall a non-existent movie from the 1990s called Shazam starring Sinbad as a genie. And I'm telling you that movie existed. And in the 90s, I was not a kid. I was not a little right. kid. So mm, yeah. I remembered that. I remembered that clearly. And yet it never happened and I can find no evidence of it. And I said, I am positive. I saw a commercial for it on TV and remember thinking that looks terrible. No offense, Sinbad, but wow. I, and but it never ever happened. And I know other people my age who talk about like, I'm certain that that was a thing, but it's not a thing. Number two, missing alien. So, um, so we've sent all kinds of probes through space, radio waves. We have the city, um, satellites listening, trying to pick up any kind of radio signals. Um, and we've got the Hubble telescope. We've been, and there's no evidence of extraterrestrials. None whatsoever. Now, there's a few... I, I mean, we're taking pictures of other galaxies, but I guess maybe it's at such a high level that if there's anyone in there, maybe we just wouldn't be able to see it from this distance. But we haven't even picked up a radio signal. And I mean, radio waves, those are in nature. That that's something anyone right. could use. And, and I understand that technologically advanced civilizations might have grown up and destroyed themselves or moved on or whatever. But if they were far enough away, we could still pick up their old radio signals. Like anything we're picking up would not be now, unless right. their radio signals went by us long before we had radio. I mean, I guess that's a possibility, but, or we're the first advanced civilization, which would be a shame. Like there's others out there, but haven't gotten to our level or... Or they don't want to talk to us. Yeah, but we, we, I could see they wouldn't come and see us, but we can't even find evidence of them. We don't, we don't right. say, and it right. worries a lot of scientists who've said, you know, we, we feel confident with all that real estate out there. Someone has to be out there, but... Right. In an infinite universe, what are the odds, you know, So that there's nothing else? There are some theories that if aliens get technologically advanced enough, they're able to, that like we're living in a simulation they figure out how to escape from. That doesn't make sense to me because, I mean, just because some of them figured out to, how to escape, if there's a, if there's one alien civilization out there, there's probably more than one, and they all figured out how to escape the simulation, but we didn't. And the other theory is maybe the computer we're in only has enough RAM to simulate one planetary civilization at a time, or that's all the makers of the simulation needed to study whatever it is they're studying. Or our consciousness, whatever, is, is what is creating the simulation and, and we only go into one at a time. Like with The Sims, mm. like you, you log off and right. like mm -hmm. you're still alive, but your Sim is not conscious or whatever. It's just, so. just nothing at the time, yeah. Um, number three, electrons that can't make up their mind. 
And so in the, you know, physics, they do that famous double slit experiment um, where they fire electrons at a photosensitive screen through slits in a copper plate. And so they behave like a wave. But when they do the same experiment and someone is observing it, electrons behave like particles, not waves. And there's no interference pattern. And some think this means that the simulation is conserving its resources and it only renders certain things when it knows we're looking at them. That's really crazy. <laughs> that like that concept helps. of things behaving differently when observed. Yeah. Because part of me says, well, how do you know? You're not observing it. You know right. what I mean? So they must have a way to measure. <laughs> like if they're not being observed. They, they must have a right. way to measure it and, and look back at what happened. Um, right. But it's also like we, we talked about the Hadron Collider one time, that there is supposedly something stuck in it that they think is from another dimension. And, and a reporter asked, well, but what do you do? And they said, well, we, we just don't look at it. And then it's it's not there. <laughs> oh, that's like, I I use that method in my same, own personal same, same. life. With like, you yeah. know, dishes or laundry, you know, where I'm just like, if I just don't look at the yep. laundry, I won't have to do exactly. the laundry. But I wouldn't think that scientists at the Hadron Collider would be like, let's just not make eye right. contact with the thing from another I dimension mean, that's floating in here. I do that in the grocery store oh. if I see someone I know and I don't want to stop and talk to them. But Oh my gosh, yes. As I've said before, and I will say many times again, I expect astrophysicists to have a better coping mechanism than I do. Right! Absolutely, when it comes to interdimensional objects floating in the Hadron Collider. Like that uh, yeah. Please come up with another yeah. solution. I mean, I respect that, but I, I don't know if that's such a good idea. Right. I, I get it. understand I get it. it. <laughs> Still upsets me. Um, number four, DNA that contains a computer virus. In 2017, um, a group of researchers at the University of Washington proved that they could embed malicious computer code into physical strands of DNA. Um, they were trying to show that computers working in gene sequencing were vulnerable to attack. But they also sort of accidentally revealed um, that what we perceived to be biological reality was computer code. It was compatible with computer code. I feel like scientists reveal a lot of things by accident. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> and discover things. Oh, by the way, we're all computers. Yeah. Bye. Yeah. Um, like so, I... funny story. We didn't figure out how to protect computers from attack, but we did figure out how to give you a computer virus. I don't know if that's of any help to anyone. Right. Oh, and don't don't look at that interdimensional being floating over there. <laughs> Just don't make eye contact with it. These two pieces of information unrelated. Don't worry <laughs> about it. You're a computer. See you later. Number five. This one doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm just going to put it out there. Um, climate change. Um, our civilization is just coincidentally set on the cusp of environmental chaos, suggesting we could be an ancestor simulation created in the hopes that we'd show our creators how to solve an energy crisis. That just seems that just seems like science fiction to me. Like, why would that be? Of, of any of well, our other problems, I mean, why would that be the reason we're in a simulation? Well, I feel like we do use simulations, though, to try to figure out weather patterns. No, weather but patterns we do, stuff, but right? why would that... I mean, I feel like there's a whole bunch of reasons why they would have us in a simulation to see if we can figure stuff out. I don't know why they picked that particular one. Like, how is it a coincidence? Well, maybe they have a bunch going. How is it a... Maybe we just happen to be in that so one. So, I, 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 
I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but I have a friend who has a theory. You remember the whole 2012 world was going to end thing? Yes, I do recall. So her theory is that the world really did end in 2012. And there was such a rush into the afterlife that they had to create kind of this waiting room um, environment so they could... Where shit just got worse and worse and worse. (laughs) Well, so so they could process everybody. (laughs) And because you notice we had like that, like 26, like all these celebrities, really cool celebrities all going and, you know, all these... So they kind of are, you know... As, as happens, it pays to be rich and famous. You go to the front of the line. And she says mm. that we're just all waiting to be processed and that they have to keep ramping things up and throwing stuff at us and making the, sim- the simulation crazier and wilder to keep us busy so none of us figure it out. Okay. I love and hate that so much. <laughs> Me too. That is such an interesting thought. But it thought explains a lot. That I never want to think about It explains a lot, though, right? Again. It does. It does explain a lot. And she said that. She said it sounds crazy at first, but the more you think about it, and the more you think how things have been kind of going since 2012, it's not that weird. Mm. See, the reason I'm not sure that's true is because your friend is still alive, because I feel like she said that, and then all of a sudden, zoop, she didn't exist anymore, then I would probably (laughs) put a little bit more stock in that. If we're really not supposed to figure it out. So in the documentary, Neil deGrasse Tyson says to this James Gates, are you saying that an intelligence designed our universe? And then they cut away and didn't answer the question. <laughs> so, uh, so what a crazy, what a crazy loop to get back to that point and for them to be like, anyway, gone. <laughs> Um, number six, video games that look like real life. And this just talks about how Elon Musk believes in Nick Bostrom's simulation hypothesis, which that, I don't know, that's not super convincing to me. I, I think, to mm. me, all of this supposition is like, yeah, that sounds cool. But really, the, the finding the computer code in the, in, in the fabric of the universe is really what put it over me. Yeah. And having like... That one hits me a little harder. Correcting mechanisms in it to keep it running so that it doesn't just glitch out. So that, you know, that doesn't. Um, Weird news is another reason, like um, Donald Trump's election, Brexit, the 2017 Oscars envelope mix up. Oh, and and they mention the 25 point Super Bowl comeback with the Patriots means oh, that we're in a, mouth, I remember a malfunctioning that. simulation. And let me tell you, if the Patriots win a Super Bowl, there is nothing malfunctioning about that. Okay? <laughs> oh, alienate all of the listeners who aren't in New England right now at this I don't moment. know if Tom Brady's human, though. I, I, I'm not sure that he's human. Yeah, I mean... He seems to have gotten... You know how they say all men are created equal? Yeah. He seems a little little more equal than the rest of us. He seems like he got a little he got, right, right, a little unequal, I would did say. Not, a few We did not get advances. the same package. He got the deluxe package. I definitely got like <laughs> basic. We got like, oh shit, we have to Okay, well, what do we have left? Um Yeah, I mean, definitely. He's he's definitely yeah. got the premium subscription package. Um, so again, they're talking about James Gates, the theoretical physicist, and he's identified actual computer code embedded in the equations of string theory, which describe the fundamental particles of the universe. 
And oh yeah, and so the, he likens the error correcting codes to web browsers, like what makes web browsers work. That's so weird. And it makes me wonder like, are we making these connections just because we have the internet and like everything really is just made the same way well, because that's how see, things that's are made? See, that's what I'm saying. Is it or likely that the universe is a simulation because we can make simulations or do we just make simulations based on the world we're living in and so they're going to work the way right. the world works? Right, right. Is that just like humans are naturally predisposed to that? Like, I don't know that that makes us automatically a simulation. Right, I mean... Just because we like simulations. Right, I mean, so that that's sort of what I think, but I do kind of like... I kind of like the idea of it. Uh, <laughs> it's very interesting, and like, this is one of those things I wish I could know if it was true, and it bums me <laughs> out that I probably never will. Number nine... Um, why does the universe have rules in the first place? And so um, an MIT cosmologist, Max Tegmark, um, points out that the universe has a strict set of laws of physics that make it work. And he, he says that if he were a character in a computer game, he would also discover eventually that the rules seem completely rigid and mathematical. I don't know how he would discover that or how he knows what a character in a computer game would do. Um, because right. they're not sentient, as far as we know. But in this theory, the speed of light, the fastest rate at which any particle can travel, represents the speed limit for transmitting information within the network of our simulation. Although I have heard they can make information can travel faster than the speed of light, but I don't think anything can. So I don't know. What? I don't know if that's true, but I... I oh, that hurts my brain. I shouldn't have... I, it, I mean... Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's it's just hard for for people to be like well there why do there have to be rules like I don't because uh, there are but may, maybe I, there were other universes that didn't have these strict laws of physics and so life didn't develop so like sometimes gravity didn't do anything and other times it did like what well I'm just I'm I just know. wondering I I heard a physicist and I can't remember who it was. So I always drop these little things on the podcast and then I don't have anything to back them up because I just remember them. But he said the odds of there being life, like everything that had to happen mm. for the universe to support life for the solar system and Earth and the sequence of events in order for life to exist in the universe is like going to Las Vegas and drawing four aces 19,000 times in a row. Yeah, no, I've heard that before. I'm trying to remember. Oh, yeah, I'm trying to remember what that's called or who said mm -hmm. it, but it's very weird to think <laughs> about. Weird. Um, number 10 is it's not actually possible to prove we're not living in a simulation. Um, so nuclear physicist Zoray Davudi, I'm sure I got that wrong, believes that cosmic rays, the most energetic particles known to man, would appear as pixel-like chunks if we are within a simulation and unending beams if we're in base reality. But, but how, you, how do you... This is like the math thing again. Like, how do you know? So, how do you know what it would look like if we were in a simulation? NYU philosopher J David Chalmers says, you're not going to get proof that we're not in a simulation because any evidence that we get would be simulated or could be simulated. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. We can't trust anything. <laughs> 
my Number goodness. 11, the Goldilocks zone. Earth exists within what astrobiologists call the Goldilocks zone, close enough to a star that greenhouse gases can trap heat to keep liquid water, but far enough away that the planet doesn't become just hot, just burnt, like you just just too hot to survive. Right. But see, I mean, I don't know how that proves that this is right. a situation. Right, so there's, well, what know? they say, it's circumstantial evidence that sim designers wanted us to succeed, so they created a cushy environment, or this is the only type of environment in which right. life can succeed. Life was created, right, life succeeded in the only place where life could succeed. I don't see that as proof that there is a simulation. Like, maybe, but maybe not. You know, if we if there's no people on Mars because there can't be people on Mars. So uh, number 12 is it makes more sense than ghosts or other paranormal events that they're not. There's no hauntings and there's no alien encounters. It's just glitches in the simulation. Mm. And of course, yeah. That's interesting. And, and, you know, Reddit is all about this type of stuff. I didn't go to Reddit this time, actually, because I had a lot of information that I thought Ooh. I'm, I'm going to read it later, though. Um, <laughs> now that I'm... Um, so they talk about um, experiences people have where like a storefront exists in a town one day and then it doesn't the next. We talked about things like that in the um, time slips episode. Right, yeah. Or people have claimed slips between parallel timelines. There is someone who was a passenger in a car, according to this, who claims to have looked up and seen the word render in the sky. <laughs> what? You know. But again, it doesn't provide me with any details, so I can't really go into it. 13, we already know what the bricks of our matrix are. According to simulation believers, we've already found the pixel-sized building block of the universe. It's the Planck length, the point at which our concepts of gravity and space-time no longer apply. If our world is simulated, I'm starting to remember why I had a headache when we recorded this the first time. <laughs> if our world is simulated, the Planck length would be equivalent to one bit of information or one pixel. Um, number 14 is we're already good at making simulations and we're getting even better. And so in 2014, the Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics connected 8,000 computers and created a 350 million light year simulation of our universe and digitally aged it over 13 billion years. No! Stop doing these things! Someone needs to talk to these Ivy League people and be like, yo, what is up with the whisper lasers and the connecting 8,000 computers? Get out of the lab, honey. Like, Go on a date. Kiss a girl. Stop accidentally. Right. Stop accidentally creating just thousands of simulated universes or whatever sun. the hell. Like, watch Netflix. Just like get some else. sunshine. Have a glass of wine. Right. Or or cure some pandemics. I don't know. Uh, really. I mean, we could use you on the front lines. I'm just saying. <laughs> we could. Not kidding. Right. I mean, if in that simulation you find the, uh, the the cure for the pandemic that's one thing but did you because i haven't heard about it how come we can do all these things but we haven't cured cancer or climate change i don't know i don't know um so the the 15th reason in this article is yanny versus laurel you know that whole thing where <laughs> yeah somebody saw a blue dress and some saw a gold dress or some people heard yanny and some people heard laurel and there was a whole, they had did it with mm. flip flop. They did it with a bunch of different things. And um, people just perceived them completely differently. Right, yeah, I remember that. So those are the, the reasons that they 
<laughs> um, there's an article about it in Interesting Engineering, and it talks about how... Um, so it, it sort of talks about, this is kind of the general gist of most of the articles that I'm going to post, is that the kind of old Newtonian physics model of the world is that matter created mind. And now they are saying mind creates matter. And, and this, this is science, that there isn't really any such thing as matter. It's just different um, densities of energy. That fucks me up. That that actually, that is actually true. And like Einstein talks about all those things, and a and a lot of scientists talk about that. But so so my thing is, it isn't like so. If you're in the simulation, you still have to behave according to the rules of the simulation. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can just say, "Oh, this is a simulation. This isn't real. I'm going to walk in front of a truck, and I'm going to be fine because I now know." This is a simulation, right. and so I don't I believe know. it. Like, you're yeah. still in the simulation. It's like our Sims. Right. Our Sims still have to... They still live they in SimWorld. They accidentally get drowned in a right. pool. Right. They still live in SimWorld. They can't just say, oh, yeah. I know you're not real, and break out of it. But see, here's what... This is my personal theory. And this is just my personal theory on the paranormal in general. I suspect consciousness is like a river. It's just everywhere. And we're all part of it. We're all kind of taking pieces of it. And that I know I said one time that if you just had to live, if, if, if our consciousness really is immortal, it would almost be unbearable. It would almost be a curse. So we right. all might just create these things for maybe it's almost like a type of school. Maybe some of it is entertainment. Um, and it would explain reincarnation, it would explain ghosts, it would explain if, I don't know if I think mediums are real, but uh, people claim to have some pretty amazing experiences with them. But all of the weird, the glitches in the matrix, the, um, you know, when people talk about like aliens, those could people be people observing the simulation or that could be another simulation that someone else is having that experience it could almost be like you could go into different like servers yeah when you get wow. on like in like an online a massively multi multiplayer right. online game and you go to different servers right. and different things are happening and so i'm not very religious but i kind of think something like that could be going on right right that's what i kind of think so that's just my thought on that. <laughs> that's such an interesting way to think about it. But it's like, how, how is that created? How is anything created ever? Yeah. Why do you ask me hard questions? That's my question to you. Because my brain hurts. <laughs> this is tough. It's t- if we could just figure out the secrets of the universe real <laughs> yeah. quick, that would be ideal for me if they could chill out with the whisper lasers (laughs) and actually tell me whether or not i'm a real person i'd appreciate that brian whitworth is a scientist who he talks about quantum realism and so he refers to space as um is null processing it's both something and nothing time is the processing cycle and light is the process that's distributed more or less so um basically like so so that just 
explains that space is kind of where it's happening. Light is the thing that is happening, and time is the when it had the cycle in which it happens. So matter, according to this theory, um, it goes back to what I was saying. There really isn't such a thing as matter. It's just like light is, you know, how dense light is. And really, when you think about it, so much of your reality. And again, I'm not going to get political, but we can see from political cycles and we can see how two people will see the same or multiple people will see the same thing and experience it completely different, perceive it completely right. differently and come to completely different conclusions. So I, I only bring that up to say perception is, is reality. You're, it, it's how you perceive it. And so right. who's to say what that objective reality is? Oh, yeah. I feel like that's kind of like, I feel like every little kid has this thought, right? Yeah. Like when you're growing up, you learn the colors and you're like, but how do I, I know that what I see is red is what you see as red? When yeah. I first learned people could be colorblind and I would say, well, how do I know? Like, I know that we're all agreeing that that's purple because someone showed that to you and said, this is purple. Right. This is what it looks like. But I right. can't ever know how it looks to you. And I used to think that all the time. And another thing that freaked me out as a kid, yes, I can never know exactly mm-hmm. what I look like. I can only know what the opposite of me looks like. I know. I hate that information. <laughs> I hate that so Have much. Have you ever thought Although, about that? I think, um, well, but I think if you take a selfie with an yeah. iPhone, I don't know if this is, or like there's something, I think it's an iPhone where it flips your image. Mm-hmm. And so you look at it and you see yourself flipped and most people don't like it because they're used to seeing themselves in the mirror and because the the image gets flipped, you're seeing what you actually look like and you're not used to it, so you don't yeah. like it. <laughs> that makes... Ugh. Oh, I, I bet so I... So uncomfortable I bet I, could try that on my, I bet you could just do that on any camera phone. Just flip... Like, instead right. of just flip it. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to try that. I hate yeah, selfies. Yeah, you just feel like but... hating yourself when you take a selfie, there you go. But yeah, no, I mean... Perception really is everything, and it's just such a strange thing to think about. I hate looking in mirrors anyway. I always feel like I'm going to see somebody behind me. Ew, why did you say that? <laughs> now I'm never going to think anything else. Oh, that's unrelated, but I used to have such a deep fear of Bloody Mary. I have to tell you, <laughs> I was so afraid that Bloody Mary was going to come get me when I was younger. Well, I think you have to, you have to call to her. I mean, I feel like that one's pretty easy to avoid. I know. Right, right. But I was in a situation, I went to Catholic school when I was in elementary school, and one time I went to the bathroom, and like, it's really old mm-hmm. building, you know, how all Catholic schools they are. They have to be in the creepiest buildings, don't they? Because I went to Catholic school too, they have to oh, be in yes. the creepiest buildings. Right. Yes. Yeah, everything is the same as it was in like 1804 or whenever they built it. Right. So I was in the bathroom, and like, one of the things I had, I don't even think this is true, but one of the things somebody had told me is like you can flush the toilet three times or something. And I went to the bathroom and I flushed the toilet and then the toilet flushed again and then the toilet flushed again. And I was like, oh no, she's going to come and get me. And I was so afraid. I fucking ran out of that bathroom in like third grade or whatever, just like seriously convinced that Bloody Mary was going to come to get me. So to go backwards, I also don't like mirrors for that reason. Because I always thought Bloody Mary was going to come No, I don't, I don't like them. I don't like them at all. <sighs> no. Mm-mm. No. No, no, no. Not no. for me. Pass. 
just perception in general. Yeah, there's too much of it. So there's a lot more on this subject, but we're going way long again, as usual. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap it up here because you get the gist. You get the idea. Well, my brain's so broken. My brain is so broken right now. Well, that, like when they do on, on Reddit, uh, TLDR, too long, didn't read. Nothing is real and everything is possible, I guess. Well, I'm glad to tell you a story that I think we all hope also isn't real. Are you ready? I'm ready. All righty. So, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago now, we talked about the Watcher House, which is in Westfield, New Jersey. Do you remember? Yeah. Yep, yep. So, as creepy as that was, it definitely is not the creepiest thing to ever happen in Westfield. So today, I'm going to tell you the story of the List family. I'm ge- oh, I'm going to hate this. I remember. I remember. Yep. I'm going to hate it. But You're go ahead. Hate it. Go ahead. Yep. I am going to hate so, it. So, okay. So, John List and Helen Morris Taylor met after college. Helen was a widow, um, and not long after she and John started dating, she told him that she was pregnant. And because he was a devout Lutheran, uh, he married Helen, but not long after the wedding, she told John that she actually had never been pregnant. So, of course, this caused a lot of resentment in their marriage, um, but because John was so devout in his faith, um, he vowed to stay with Helen anyway, even though he felt like he'd been tricked into marrying her. Well, because he was. <laughs> he absolutely yeah. was. I mean, we'll see. John List is notoriously, like, one of the worst people ever, but, like, still not a great well, sitch, you again, know? Again, that could be, that's the murderer side of the story, or the, the guy's side of the story, so, you know. Right. Exactly. Right. One of these people survives, so, <laughs> you know. Interesting yeah. how that's the side of the story we get to hear about. So, yeah, so. Right. So, uh, not long after they were married, though, they did have children. So, four years after their wedding, they actually had three children. And so, John obviously felt pressured to provide for his growing family, but he found that it was difficult for him to hold down a job. And the problem wasn't his work ethic. Uh, He was known for being hardworking and meticulous as an accountant. Uh, But the problem was that most people that worked with John found that he rubbed them the wrong way. Something about him was off-putting. So sometime before 1965, John got a job as a vice president at a local bank. And Helen supposedly insisted that the family purchase Breeze Knoll, which was a three-story Victorian mansion with a ballroom, with a beautiful skylight, marble fireplaces, and 19 rooms in total. Which, again, maybe she insisted on this, but also yeah. we only get to hear what John but has to exactly, say about it. Exactly. Right, right. So Helen was a homemaker, and John's salary alone wasn't enough to pay for the house. So he reached out to his mother, who'd always doted on him since he was an only child, and she agreed to help him pay for the extravagant mansion. And in return, she'd live in an attic apartment on the mansion's third floor. So in 1965, the List family moved into Breeze Knoll, and on the outside, they seemed like the perfect suburban dream which is the start of literally yeah. every story every, about Every terrible story, yep. Uh, right, exactly. Everything was perfect all the time, except... 
I'll tell so, you right now, you got to watch those church-going ones. No offense to people listening uh, who go to church, but they, they seem like... It's a great... I mean, that's where they hide, because they'll right. say, oh, no, I'm in church all the time. I couldn't exactly. do this. It's an easy way to create an excuse or to sort of yeah. hide some other type of behavior. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, John was a vice president and a comptroller at a local bank. He also taught Sunday school at the Lutheran church where his family went to services every week. Uh, And like I said, Helen was a homemaker. Their eldest child, her name was Patricia. She had hopes of becoming an actress. Their next child was John Jr. who played soccer and apparently was his father's favorite. And they also had Frederick who was their youngest son. So within a year of moving into their dream house, things started to fall apart. Helen's health deteriorated. She began falling down and having blackouts and losing the vision in her right eye. And eventually she was diagnosed with tertiary syphilis, which she'd gotten from her first husband. She apparently uh, stopped attending church with her family eventually. And some people say it may have been out of shame for the disease that she had. So then John lost his job at the bank and found himself going deeper and deeper into debt. He found occasional lower paying jobs, but he lost them just as frequently for this personality clashing that we talked about earlier. So he began skimming money from his mother's bank accounts just to be able to pay his mortgage. And he went into about $200,000 of debt, which I think today wow. is over a million dollars. Wow. That's, that's a yeah. chunk of change. Even now, if I was Even that now, much in debt. That doesn't feel good, right? Never mind I mean, back I, then. I am that much in debt because I have a mortgage. But Same you know. Here. Also, yes. You know, <laughs> but still, I mean, <laughs> this is, I think, yeah, in addition to, you know everything all of his normal expenses and he doesn't have a job so he refused to go on welfare or seek any type of financial assistance since it would be an embarrassment to his family and he also believed that poverty itself was a sin so he saw his own bankruptcy as a moral failing he considered taking his own life but because he thought that this was the one unforgivable sin and he wanted to go to heaven he decided not to do it oh that's that's ironic but anyway right Right. if anybody knows the story of John List I think you know what happens next yeah so he did what any sane person would do every morning he woke up he got dressed for work like he usually would and then he went to the train station he would take the train a few stops get off take a nap read the paper try to come up with a solution for his debt problem and then when it was his normal time to go home he would take the train back a few stops and go back home at his regular time so his family was never so so his wife didn't know they didn't know okay yeah they had no idea because he was saying all right i'm going off to work bye-bye and then he was napping at a train station yeah not good and by november of 1971 he discovered his perfect plan It would solve the problems of his debts and those of his children, whom he viewed as veering dangerously towards the sinful ways of other teens in the 1970s. He was particularly concerned for his daughter, Patricia. She hoped to enter the especially corrupt career of acting, and there were rumors (laughs) that she'd even dabbled in witchcraft and in smoking marijuana. This guy sounds like a blast at parties. He just seems like the most fun person you could possibly be around, obviously, because his daughter wants to be an actress, and one time she maybe smoked weed. Mm. So his he have plan, tried it. I know, that maybe could have helped him a little bit, <laughs> yeah. not gonna lie. Yeah. 
So his plan would save his entire family from damnation. So on the morning of November 9th, 1971, after his children had gone to school, he went out to his car and loaded his two handguns. He walked into the kitchen where his wife was drinking her usual morning cup of coffee at the kitchen table, and he shot her in the back of the head. Then he went upstairs to the attic apartment where his 84-year-old mother was having breakfast. He kissed her and shot her in the head too. So then he went back downstairs where he placed Helen's body on a sleeping bag and dragged her into the ballroom. He scrubbed the kitchen so that when his children got home from school, they would have no idea what had happened. So then he went to the post office because just, you know, a regular day, right? Mm -hmm. Clean the kitchen, murder your family, et cetera. <laughs> go, to the, go to the post office. Pick up the dry cleaning, drop some stuff at the post office. <laughs> right, exactly. Just, you know, regular standard day that everybody has all the time. Uh, he also canceled the milkman and the newspaper. He went to the bank and he cashed all of his now dead mother's savings bonds. Uh, and apparently he was very careful to make sure that he received the correct interest for all of them to the penny. Because he's just such a nice guy. This guy's a piece of work. Yeah, yeah. So then he drove back home where he made several phone calls to explain that Helen's mother was sick and that the entire family would be going to North Carolina to visit her and that he'd be following them by car. He told everyone that he would let them know as soon as they returned. Or not. Which, of course, they're not going to. <laughs> yeah. So he also spent time going through all the photos in the house and cutting out his own image from them, which is just like, what? I don't know why, there's something like really creepy about that. Yeah. That he's now cutting out all of his own faces. I don't like Dude, it. Dude, we um, know you were there. <laughs> right. It's pretty obvious. Yeah. So then he went to his study where he collected all the photos and documents he had of the mansion. And he actually even wrote a letter to a descendant of the home's original owner, as well as three other letters to his family members. So, you know, this was a pretty busy morning and this work yeah. had given him an appetite. So he sat down at his freshly scrubbed kitchen table where he'd literally just killed his wife a few hours before and had lunch. Well, killing takes a lot out of you, apparently. So then John's 16-year-old daughter, Patty, called from school because she was apparently feeling ill. So John went to the school to pick her up. Once they arrived home, John shot Patty in the jaw with a 22 caliber pistol. Like he'd done with her mother, he placed Patty's body on a sleeping bag and dragged her into the ballroom too. And apparently he saw that she called home from sick. She called home from school sick as a stroke of luck because he was worried about what would happen if two of his kids got home from school at the same time because obviously one of them would notice that their dad shot one of their siblings yeah. so he was like oh thank goodness this really worked out well for me that patty yeah. is sick from school so Phew. now he can have yeah really horrible so frederick the youngest son was just 13 years old and he was the next to arrive home like the rest of his family he was shot in the back of the head as soon as he was inside the house yeah it's pretty rough so then, of course, John cleans up the scene and like the rest of his family, he dragged his son, his son's body into the ballroom with the others. Then he drove to the soccer field where his elder and supposedly favorite son was playing in a soccer game. He cheered John Jr. on and then drove him home. 
He shot John Jr., but unlike the rest of his family, he didn't die immediately. Oh. Apparently, he twitched as if he was having a seizure, and his father shot him nine more times before placing oh. his body in the barn with the others. Then he said a prayer over their bodies, as if that was going to help. Yeah, well, you know, because yeah. he's a good guy. So then he went back to the kitchen where he'd murdered most of his family and sat down and had dinner. Because, again, murdering everybody who loves you is really exhausting and works up an appetite. He cleaned the dishes and left them to dry. He went to bed and slept apparently better than he had in years. The next day, he set the temperature down on the air conditioner and turned on every light in the house. He tuned the radio to his favorite classical station in the hopes that any burglars would believe that someone was home. Then he returned to his study, where he wrote a five-page long letter to his pastor to explain what he had done, since he believed his pastor would understand, which, yikes. I would not want to be that Spoil pastor who's like, this guy thought... Spoiler I alert, he did not. Right, he was definitely like, oh, I really fucked something up in one of my <laughs> sermons at some yeah, point. Yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't make that message clear at all. Right, right, exactly. So in this letter he wrote, At least I'm certain that all have gone to heaven now. If things had gone on, who knows if that would be the case. Because that's literally the only thing that he cares about, and not the fact that he just murdered every single person in his family. Ugh. So then he walked out of the house, locked the door, and never returned to Breeze Knoll. He drove his car to JFK Airport, took a bus into the city, and then took a train to Denver. Once he was there, he applied for a social security card with the name of Robert Peter Clark and got a job as a short order cook. It's amazing that he could just go do that. Back in New Jersey, Breeze Knoll sat untouched. For weeks, no one noticed that the family was gone. John had done a pretty good job of covering his bases there. And the family had actually been pretty reclusive, so it wasn't unusual for their neighbors not to see them. Patricia's drama teacher, though, couldn't shake the feeling that there was something wrong. Patricia once had apparently confided in him that she was afraid her father was going to kill the whole family. So there must have been something else going yeah. on in this house yeah. that we don't know about. Because he was probably abusive the whole time, and I bet all his right. whole story about her faking the pregnancy, she probably was, and or maybe she wasn't even. They just got married, and he was trying to make it look like he was this good guy, and he got trapped, and... You know, it's like right. almost like rationalizations for what, and she made me buy this big house and she made me do all this. And so it wasn't my fault. Right. But I bet he was abusive because people, right. you don't just say that. That right. never even crossed my mind with my husband. <laughs> you no. Know? You don't live in a perfectly happy house and be like, hey, Mr. Whatever your name is, I think my dad might kill my whole entire family. Like, that's pretty fucking serious to say that to a teacher, but you know? This this happens in pretty much all of your stories that you tell. There's just someone who won't let it go. There's right. someone who notices something's up and they're just not letting it go. Those people are the real heroes of these stories. Yeah, they're absolutely. just like, nope, nope, I know something's not right. Right, exactly. And that's how he felt. So he decided to go to the list home and investigate for himself. So the neighbors in this super wealthy, fancy neighborhood, they never noticed that the house that had been fully lit 
the beginning of the month slowly got darker and darker as the bulbs died inside the house. But of course they noticed a suspicious man poking around the neighborhood and they called yeah. the police on Patty's drama teacher. So two, offer, two officers, Charles Haller and George Zelesnik, arrived at Breeze Knoll and they listened to what the drama teacher had to say. They tried knocking on the doors and when no one answered, they entered the house through an unlocked window. Just one light and the house was still lit, which is just like maximum creepiness right there. Mm-hmm. That there just happens to be one light. Oh, so creepy. Um, and the house was also freezing cold because like I said, John had turned the air conditioner all the way down. Mm-hmm. And just to make it creepier, the classical music was still playing. Ugh. Yeah. So the officers found the bodies in the ballroom first, and then the confession that John had left beside his guns. They followed his instructions to find the body of his mother upstairs, whom he'd noted in a postscript was too heavy to move. Because he couldn't even... That wasn't even in the main part of the letter. It was literally P.S. Mother's upstairs. Because that couldn't even be included in the main part of the letter. It's so awful. So, of course, they put out an all-points bulletin for John List, but he had a month-long head start because it was now December, and this had all happened in the beginning of November. Um, They found his car at JFK, but they could find no record of his having taken a flight. They followed every lead that they could find, but none of them went anywhere. The August following the murders, Breeze Knoll mysteriously burned down. In the aftermath of the fire, it was discovered that the skylight in the ballroom under which John had placed the bodies of his entire family months before had actually been signed by Lewis Comfort Tiffany. So, of, you know, Tiffany. Mm-hmm. And if John had known this and sold the skylight, he could have paid back all of his debts if he'd literally just looked up, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Just so sad to think about. And the investigators tried to keep the case relevant in the press, but it went cold. They tried to get the story on Unsolved Mysteries, but it was rejected. Uh, They contacted what at the time was a new show, America's Most Wanted, but apparently the show told them that the case was too cold and too old, since by this time the murders had occurred almost 18 years before. But then John Walsh, who was the host of America's Most Wanted, heard about the story and apparently had very strong feelings about List. John Walsh, whose own six-year-old son Adam had been murdered, called John List a son of a bitch, a coward, and a child killer. Which, check, check, check. Those are all true. Exactly. So, he was determined to get the story of the family's murder on the show and to find John List even after so many years. So what he did was he reached out to a forensic sculptor named Frank Bender to create a three-dimensional bust of what List would look like age progressed to 1989. He successfully identified other aging criminals and decomposed bodies in the past. So Frank Bender then contacted a forensic psychologist named Richard Walter in order to get a profile of List. Together, they worked to create an unbelievably accurate bust of List. I'll have to show you the picture. It's crazy how accurate they are of what he actually looked like at the time. But they needed one final touch, List glasses. Bender believed that List wouldn't be vain enough to wear contact lenses, but that he would definitely wear a different pair of glasses than what he had worn before he went on the run. Bender and Walter believed that List would use the new pair of glasses as a way to hide. They disguise his failures and his true identity. Bender imagined List wearing thick black framed glasses and scoured thrift stores until he found just the right pair. So now that the bus was complete and John List's case 
John List's case aired on America's Most Wanted on May 21st, 1989. 22 million people watched the episode, including uh, Wanda Flannery and Eva Mitchell, who lived in Denver. They felt certain that they knew the man being discussed before they even saw the bust. They believed it was their former neighbor, whose name was Bob Clark. Like John List, Bob Clark was a devout Lutheran who always wore a suit. He was also a soft-spoken accountant. And as soon as the bus was revealed on screen, the mother and daughter were certain, and they called the America's Most Wanted tip line. So 11 days later, the FBI went to Richmond, Virginia, where Bob Clark was living with his new wife, Dolores. Dolores told them that he was at work, so they went instead to his office, where he was working as an accountant, as he had when he was John List. When they got there, he was wearing nearly identical glasses to those that were used in the bust. He denied being John List and insisted that his name really was Bob Clark and continued to insist that even after his fingerprints were proven to be a match to John List. So more than 18 years after John List murdered his entire immediate family, he was finally arrested and charged with five counts of first degree murder. List was diagnosed with OCD, and his defense said this made him guilty only of second-degree murder, which I think what? is just, like, the <laughs> most ridiculous what? way to try to be like, oh, well, uh, I really like it. I, I, uh, when I gotta are, say something. Like, I, uh, it doesn't make any sense. And the jury felt the same way, so, of course, they found him guilty of five counts of first-degree murder, and he got the maximum sentence at the time, which was five consecutive life, like, life terms. And actually what's interesting is for a while, the FBI was convinced that List could have been the infamous hijacker D.B. Cooper. Mm -hmm. Since he, uh, when he hijacked a plane and parachuted from it, the amount of money that he wanted was $200,000, which was the same amount that List owed. Mm -hmm. And the hijacking took place just two weeks after the murders of the List family. And he actually did look very similar to the sketch of D.B. Cooper. But once he was in prison, John List continuously denied being Cooper, and the FBI no longer believes that he's a suspect in the case. But they still don't know who D.B. Cooper is or was. Which is another crazy case. Maybe we'll talk about that someday, but... Yeah, that's a really crazy story. Yeah. We'll definitely have to cover it someday. John Walsh and many others believe that the bus created by Bender and Walter was integral to finding John List, which I definitely think that it was. And... Uh, John Walsh keeps the bus in a place of honor in his office because, I mean, that's really like this kind of amazing achievement to have found this guy that went completely undetected for 18 years. Can you imagine like you go through the pain of you've lost your child and you're doing all this work to make sure no other parent has to go through what you went through and this just SOB kills his own kids? I don't blame Good for you, John Walsh. You're a hero. Yeah. He really, really is. I mean, he's done so much. And just like that, John List is just such a fucking evil, terrible person that for John Walsh to be able to do this is just a really It's amazing. almost worse than evil. It's like yeah. n- nothing. It's like soulless. Yeah. There's just yeah. nothing there at all. It's heinous. N- now I hope we're in a simulation. I know. Right? That's what I said. This story really makes you want to believe that none, none of this is real at all. Yeah. Or doesn't ultimately matter. Right, exactly. John List's crimes fall into two categories, mass murder and family annihilation. 
Mass murder is defined as killing four or more individuals at the same location within 24 hours. And family annihilation is when someone, usually a father, kills every member of their family. This is often followed by their own suicide, but as we know, John List didn't want to commit suicide since he wanted to go to heaven, which doesn't feel that likely. Spoiler! That's right. not how heaven works. I mean, I don't right. know if I believe in heaven, but from what I read about it, that's not the criteria. There's... Exactly. Like many family annihilators, he killed his family because they didn't live up to his expectations and because of his dire financial situation. On March 21st, 2008, John List died from complications of pneumonia in prison custody at, Trent, at a Trenton, New Jersey hospital. He was 82 years old and said he looked forward to being with his family in heaven. Again, mm. I don't really see it happening, John. I'm just going to tell you the truth there. Maybe they don't want to see you. Yeah, you think I about wouldn't. It? I definitely don't. I don't know this guy. <laughs> and I definitely don't want to see him anywhere ever. Yeah. Finally, the real-life boogeyman of Westfield, New Jersey was gone. No one claimed his body at the morgue at first, but eventually he was buried next to his mother in Michigan, who, Ugh. remember, he murdered in her bed. So Why did that's... he even murder his mother? I mean, what, what did she do to him? I Not that, not I don't that know. any of them did anything to him, but... Right, right. I, yeah, she was there is probably why. But that's the story of John List. And he like you, him. I hope it's not real. Ugh. Yes. Yep. I mean, I guess it's kind of real. It's real within this version of reality. But, but maybe yeah. it doesn't ultimately matter. Oh. Yeah. The terrible story. That is uh, a terrible as story. usual, I got my information from Murderpedia, as well as allthatsinteresting.com and an article from medium.com. Oh, right. And I have to also give my sources. Oh, yeah. So I. I got my information on simulation theory from um, foxbusiness.com video with uh, Michio Kaku, um, interestingengineering.com, vulture.com, vox.com, simulation-argument.com, um, courses.lumenlearning.com. Um, I have a, oh, this is arxiv.org, brianwhitworth.com. Um, I have the Amazon documentary here that about James Gates and the simulation theory, um, sigmapisigma.org, and scientificamerican.com. Oh. Wow. Yeah. My, my brain hurts. <laughs> I, we did it to ourselves again. Twice in a row, you know, we really we should we... think about these things before we have haunted episodes. We don't take universal hints very well. Just over and over again. We just continue to ignore them. Yeah. Uh, well, take, take that, was... that, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Exactly. We're telling the truth. You can't stop us. Well, he probably can stop us, but he hasn't stopped us yet. Exactly. Well, kind of one time on this episode, but not again. <laughs> Almost. Almost. Uh, well, that was haunted episode number 13 for the second time for us. For the yep. first time for you guys. We hope you enjoyed it. Let I'm us pretty, know if your brains hurt too, because ours My brain's do. just jelly right now. It's just, it's, It really is. Yeah. I'm 
simultaneously exhausted and probably won't be able to sleep. Oh no, my brain is running at full speed and nothing's happening, you know? <laughs> Just no neurons are connecting or whatever. There's no. no synapses are doing anything, but they sure are moving around a lot. So, what do you think of, uh, I, I know I don't like this list guy. Mm -mm, what do you think of simulation does. theory? I don't know what I think about that either. I don't know what I th I don't know if I believe that, but I find it really, really interesting. I find it interesting yeah. that people who I respect and always listen to about science talk about it like it's a legitimate possibility. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely true. That's definitely really interesting. It's one of those things that, like, you just have to be satisfied thinking about it because we'll never, ever know what the truth is. Well, I mean, that's the whole point of our podcast. If we start knowing what the truth is... That's true. What do they need us for? facts, and that's not as fun. <laughs> that's just, nobody likes facts. No, boring. Well, before we go, um, if you enjoy doing this to your brain and you want to keep doing this to your brain, please join us on our Facebook page at Cul-de-Sac Insomniac, on Instagram at Cul-de-Sac Insomniac, on our website where we have also all of our notes and image credits and music credits and all of the links that we use if you want to read more about these topics, um, keldesacinsomniac.com. If you have any stories that you want us to either research, stories that have happened to you, paranormal, uh, true crime, anything creepy, even if you just want to say hello, um, hit us up at cul-de-sac-insomniac at gmail.com. And if you like this podcast and you're listening to us on Apple iTunes, please give us a like, give us a five-star review, say something nice about it. It really does help with the algorithm and it makes us feel good. Yes, and, it does. And we thank you for letting us keep you up all night because we're going to be up all night now. Oh, we absolutely are. Oh, yeah. There's no way getting around it. Mm -mm. But thanks for hanging out with us. This was fun. Yeah. We, we enjoy it. We love to do it. And we hope you enjoyed listening. And we will see you back here next week, we hope. Yes. The, uh, the simulation won't keep us down. <laughs> Hopefully, the, yeah, the MIBs don't come for us. And <laughs> we'll be back next week. And we will see you later. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.